Hey, Fellowship family. On behalf of our elders and staff, I want to express gratitude to all of you for your patience and encouragement during the pandemic. It was an unprecedented time for all of us. And though the disease is still with us, it seems we can see the light at the end of the tunnel. As the elders made difficult decisions on behalf of our church, seeking the leadership of the Holy Spirit, they guided us well through the process and kept both you and our staff safe. And speaking of our staff, they have done a phenomenal job providing live stream content for adults, students, and children. And now they're working hard to open services again to try and get us back to a sense of normal. But a friend reminded me this week as I mentioned the word normal, that normal is a setting on your clothes dryer. And he's right. I'm not sure normal should be our goal. God wants more for us than that. However, we are back to in-person services and we want you to be back. Live streaming of services will continue to be a convenience for us when we are traveling or aren't feeling well, but it isn't the best option nor what God intended for the body of Christ on a regular basis. We need to be together, worshiping, praying, studying God's word weekly, both in community and in corporate worship celebrations. I was out of town recently over a weekend and it was great to be able to attend fellowship services virtually. But doing so will never replace the community, collaboration, and culture of worshiping together as a body. We also need volunteers to work in our children's ministries. Get in there and invest your lives in our kids. We shouldn't have to close classes because we don't have enough workers. Our church finances took a hit as well during COVID. And I hope each of us this week will examine our giving to God through fellowship to help us accomplish God's vision and mission for our church. We need to catch up to where we were this time last year or maybe even exceed it. Remember, we can't outgive God who has given so generously to us. One last thing. It seems our nation has never been more divided and certainly never more so in so many different directions. Fellowship Bible Church should be a lighthouse of hope and unity in our community and in our world. We are bound by a common purpose based on the truth of scripture and we will never waver from that foundation. When everything seems chaotic, let us be rock steady because we know our God is in control, come what may. He is able to do abundantly more than we could ever ask or imagine. So let's keep our eyes fixed on him. Let's love well and let people see Christ in us. God bless. Well, good morning, and how are you, church? Happy Father's Day to you as well, dads. It's good to see you all this morning. Hey, if you're uh, joining us for the first time, maybe you're even joining us online right now, we'd like to say welcome. And we're glad that you chose to worship with us this morning. We actually believe it's an honor when people would choose to draw together with us and we can be part of coming together to go to God and begin to worship and also learn from Him. So we're glad you're here. Uh, We'd love to get to know you more. We'd love for you to move from that place of guest to friend and family. If that's exactly where you are as you're looking uh, for a church home. And so to help you do that, uh, use the uh, text number that you see on the screen behind me and you can tell us that you're here. We'll shoot a link back to you. You can fill that out and we can reach out from there. Better than all of that technological way to get connected is just even a good old fashioned hello. 
And so as soon as the service is over, our Connections team will be in the middle of the foyer in that center booth. Uh, Stop by and say hi. We'd love to help you find a way to get connected. Uh, Mickey highlighted some things in the video that are uh, so worth highlighting. And first of all, uh, it's that your spiritual family needs you. And we'll tell you more about even why that is now. But Robin, good morning to you. Good morning. Robin Yates is the director of our early childhood ministry. And she would be the first person to amen what Mickey said Mm -hmm. up front is that we need you. Our classes are open and kids are there. By the way, the wisest thing to do if kids are there is probably to have some adults too, huh? <laughs> like you could do children's ministry or Lord of the Flies. Take your pick, and we'll go with children's <laughs> ministry. And so we need you, and we need to see uh, generous living, not just in our giving, but in also in our serving. And so if you would be a part of that, would you use Robin Yates's email on the screen and shoot her a note telling her that you're willing to serve, and they would love to welcome you uh, mm-hmm. to being part of that uh, family that serves as well. And you'll see why that's a bigger need now as we head towards uh, baby dedication. Did I say that right, Robin? No, no, no. Why do we call this thing parent-child dedication instead of baby dedication? We do. It's parent-child dedication. You know, I, I was this morning again rereading the passage in Deuteronomy that talked about, you know, love the Lord with all your heart, your soul, um, but impress things on your children so that they may be able to follow him also. That's my paraphrase. But he says in there to do it while you lay down, while you rise up, while you walk along the way. All of those, we, we are committing our parents and their children. If, if kids are super healthy, we still at the church only get them maybe 45 46 hours a year, an entire year. But that's not the same for our parents, for our grandparents, for all of you. You get more opportunities um, to be with that. So we want to just say we're we're in 100%. We're going to ask our parents to commit that they are as well. So our, our desire in all of children's ministry is helping families own the spiritual development of the next generation. And this is the first sort of linchpin that we get to put down to say, we're in it with you and it's gonna take all of us. Yeah, absolutely. That's the mission statement for the family ministry. Helping families own the spiritual development of the next generation. You see how we all have a part? Families own, churches help. If we swap roles with each other and churches own and families only help, something goes awry there, doesn't it? But when families own and churches help, uh, something's beautiful. Where Psalm 145 says, one generation will praise your name to the next. The faith gets passed down. So introduce us to our families this morning. Hey, I'm excited this morning. We we don't normally do this on Father's Day. Mother's Day is our our big dedication, but... um, we got lots of COVID babies, so we're <laughs> spreading the love over to Father's Day this year. Oh, that's um, good. So, but in addition, I'm super excited. One of our little COVID babies was born to um, some of our global workers. They got to come back, um, or they had to come back for a short while, um, and he was born, but today... 
they're going to join us um, from the other side of the globe uh, to be a part of dedicating their child too and saying, you guys are our family, so we need you. No matter how far away we are, we still need you, prayers and your involvement. So, so I'm excited. This is the first time we've ever done that today, so we're going to do it. But today, I'm super excited. We're going to start with the Freemans. This is Piper Lene Freeman. She cute. Yeah. <laughs> Her parents are Caleb awe. and Carissa. And she has two siblings, Finley and Truett, who love her a lot. <laughs> they say Piper is an absolute joy and a gift to our family. Her smile is contagious, her laughter is pure, and we know that she is a blessing from the Lord. So our prayer is that she would respond to the Lord's calling and cling to his redemption, knowing that she is a cherished member of our family and of the family of God. <laughs> I wonder whose child she is, Caleb. Okay. Next, we have the Gintz family. This is Claire Eileen Gintz. Her parents are Josh and Jenny. Claire is very serious. You wouldn't know it by this cute smiling picture, but she's very serious. But when she smiles and laughs, it brings us the purest joy. Claire Eileen means clear, bright, and shining. We hope Claire will be a bright, shining light to others throughout her life. We are so grateful we get to be her parents and can't wait to see what the Lord has planned for her. Us too. Mm. Next is Selah May Ober. Mom and dad, Micah and Ashley. They say we chose Selah's name because it means to pause and reflect. And our prayer is that. That's what she is to the world around her, as she already has been to us. <laughs> then we have Everett James Rowell. His parents are Ben and Hallie. <laughs> it's been an absolute joy to be Everett's parents and to see him learn and grow with each new day. At bedtime, we tell Everett that he is handsome, that God loves him more than he knows, and that we are proud of him. When we pray with Everett each night, we pray that he's reminded of God's love. <laughs> Next, we have Lennon. Elliot Good, <laughs> his parents are Andrew and Rebecca Good, and this is way past Lennon's bedtime, <laughs> so um, they say Lennon loves to explore, try new foods, and laugh a lot. God has shown us his faithfulness through the beginning of Lennon's story. So we pray that he would grow to know God as a good father 
who's always faithful. Love it. <laughs> so you remember the vision, helping families own the spiritual development of the next generation, right? We all have a part. Families own, churches help. Uh, there are all of their names of the children who are being dedicated are up on the screen and their parents. If you want to take your phone and snap a picture of that, uh, that will help prayer prompt uh, to pray for these families. Uh, parents, they have, anytime you do parent-child dedication, it's a commitment ceremony. And parents are committing to modeling, to teaching, to training these children in the ways of Jesus. Churches are making a commitment too. We're not spectators, we're participants this morning. And we're choosing to commit ourselves to praying for these families, supporting these families, but also leading and serving these families. We want in on the good game that God is doing. So it'll be a joy to pray over them, each one of them as we do so now. Heavenly Father, right now, we thank you for Piper Lene. We thank you for this little girl who was talking so much and responding to the laughter and the clapping. I pray that she would have a responsiveness to you in the same way, that when your voice, when your laughter is over her life, she would respond in ways that mark her life all the days that she walks. May she be a woman of grace and beauty and strength. Would you fill Caleb and Carissa with your spirit to guide and to shape her? And Lord, as well, we pray for, pray for Claire Eileen. And we'd ask you now, this little girl who had bright smile, but a serious, serious disposition, would you put her, her heart and her hope on you where she would zealously pursue you, that she would be known as someone who is a serious follower of Jesus with a bright smile and a joy that radiates from her life? Would you fill Josh and Jenny with your wisdom and your courage as they shape and they guide this little lady? And Lord, for, for Salome, we would ask you right now that indeed she would be one who would wait patiently for you, as Psalm 37 says, that her hope would be you, that she would enjoy walking with you, waiting upon you, trusting that you lead her every day. We pray, Father, that she'd come to know you at a young age and enjoy following you all the days of her life. And would you fill Micah and Ashley with a wisdom and a courage that comes from your Holy Spirit, we ask this. And Father, we pray forever, James. And we would ask that this boy would be a boy who would grow to be a tender warrior. We pray for a tenacity in him and a gentleness in him that looks so much like Jesus when he walked this earth. Would you allow him to come to know you early, to walk with you all his days, and to enjoy being a leader who reflects you. We pray for Ben and Hallie right now, and we ask, Lord God, Fill them with your spirit. Give them wisdom and courage for the assignment you've given them with the Everett. And Father, right now for the goods across the world, we pray right now for Lynn and Elliot. We are grateful and ask that you would fill, use, take your servant and uh, cause her to be a, a message, a messenger to the nations. Lord, would you take this this family and use them where they are right now. I pray that they would feel the arms of this body of Christ wrapped around them. That indeed they would know they're loved and they're sent and they're supported. Would you fill them with wisdom and courage in all that you've assigned them to do? 
Father, for these families, we commit them to you, and it's a joy to do the family of God with them. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Would you say thanks to these families? And fathers, it's good to honor you, whether you're one of these young dads who's not sleeping much at night, whether you are a father of teenagers and you live many of your days confused, whether you have adult children or grandchildren in which you play the role of encouraging, celebrating, championing, and supporting, whether you play the role of a spiritual dad in the lives of one of the children here in this church, whether you're a foster dad and you stand in the gap for a child who needs you, we thank you. Hey, there's one thing I know about fathering. Nothing has called out the best in me and seemed to raise up the worst in me at the same time. And all it tells me is that I need to be dependent upon the Heavenly Father. To all those who place their faith in Jesus Christ, you've been adopted by the Heavenly Father. Happy Father's Day. Lord Jesus, we ask you now, would you move amongst us as we are the saints gathered? We know you can meet with us anytime, place. But during this time in this place, we ask you to move in our lives with the body gathered together around the table. May you be the feast. We love you. We need you. Amen. Well, good morning, church. My name's Kyle Jackson, and I'm one of the worship pastors here. And what an honor to be with you this morning. What an exciting day to get to dedicate these children on Father's Day. And can you believe we just... As zoomed with a couple of cross seas. How cool. What an amazing day and age we live in where we get to do that. As we begin to prepare our hearts to worship this morning, I just want to set up this idea of holiness and this idea of presence within the Bible. God is a God who desires to be with us, but in order for him to do that, we have to be called holy because he's a holy God. So we're going to learn about that this morning and we're going to worship and sing about that this morning, but I would love for you to hear these words from Psalm 16 as I read them over you this morning. If you need to close your eyes and take them in, if you need to hold your hands and just posture yourself to hear these words, feel free. This is a safe space to do that. Would you hear these words? Protect me, God, for I take refuge in you. I said to the Lord, you are my Lord, and I have nothing good besides you. As for the holy people who are in the land, they are the noble ones. All of my delight is in them. The sorrows of those who take another God themselves will multiply. I will not pour out their drink offerings of blood and I will not speak their names with my lips. Lord, you are my portion. You're my cup of blessing. You hold my future. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places, indeed, and I have a beautiful inheritance. I will bless the Lord who counsels me, even at night when my thoughts trouble me. I will always let the Lord guide me, because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad, my whole being rejoices, my body also rests securely. What a gift. For you will not abandon me to Sheol. You will not allow your faithful one to see decay. You reveal the path of life to me. Would you hear this this morning? 
In your presence is abundant joy. And at your right hand are eternal pleasures. We serve a God who wants to be with us. So let's remember that as we sing this morning. This is a song that was written by one of our worship pastors here and some of our worship team about the psalm that we just read. If you know it, would you sing with me? You are my Lord. I have no good beside you, God. I have no need apart from you, Jesus. My everlasting hope. We'll sing that again. You are my Lord. You are my Lord, I have no good besides you, God. I have no need apart from you, Jesus, my everlasting hope. I will say, Oh 
voices we sing.
we acknowledge that you are holy this morning. And Lord, it's your blood that covers us, that you shed upon that cross, Lord, so that we can be with you, so that we can enjoy you and enjoy a life with you, but more importantly, a life to come in heaven, the new heaven and the new earth. So God, we celebrate that this morning. We lift that high as a church just to celebrate. Spirit, would you begin to work in our hearts as we hear the word, your holy word from the Bible as Mark preaches it. Will we not leave this room the same, but continue to change our hearts. We pray these things in your most heavenly, most holy name, Jesus, amen. You may have a seat. Amen. 16 years ago, Father's Day, that we moved to Northwest Arkansas to join the, the staff of fellowship. Uh, we came up here with four teenagers in tow, and we ended up jumping into two jobs, sports activities, cell groups, a uh, busy church community, a busy community around us, and uh, we just found ourselves busy, living a pretty scheduled life. And then a few months after being here, we found that we were expecting another child. So that slowed things down. No. Parker came along as our bonus who made uh, us really six happier human beings, but at the same time, we became uh, six busier human doings. And yet over the next few years, as he was starting kindergarten, we only had one other in the house, and she would be a senior in high school, and we were, uh, we, one day we got a phone call from a friend here at Fellowship who said, uh, we have an international student who needs a host home for a year. Would you pray about taking an international student into your home? We prayed about it. We looked down the hallway at an empty bedroom, and we said, sure. And we welcomed sweet Celia from Norway into our house. She was a great addition. She was not used to our scheduled pace of life. It was not uncommon for her to come maybe right as you were unloading groceries from the car from Walmart and say, oh, by the way, when you go to the store, could you get this? Or to tell you about an activity that was just about to happen in the next hour or so. Well, I remember one Sunday night, we had kind of finished the family routine and she came in and said, Mark, I need some help. And I said, sure, sweetheart. And she said, I have a science project due and I need to get some supplies. And I said, great, when's the science project due? What do you think she said? Tomorrow, yeah. And I looked at her and I said, honey, you're like family to us now, so I am going to teach you the family motto. Are you ready? She smiled. Here it is. Plan or die. <laughs> she just stared at me. Is this like an American joke thing? Or like, oh, is this literal? Hey, in the spiritual family of God, there's a motto as well that we have. We just don't say it often enough. You ready for it? Plan to die. Yeah. Embedded right in the middle of the paragraph that is ours for this morning in Hebrews chapter 9 is verse 27. Hebrews 9, 27, right in the middle of this paragraph says, just as man or people are destined to die once and after that to face judgment. So the year before we moved to Northwest Arkansas, Lisa and I found ourselves in an oncologist's office to get the results of the PET scan that were done on me to tell us how far the cancer had spread. 
We worked through a treatment plan, and they said, if you do this surgery and 153 treatments in 13 months, we think your survivability rate will go up from 45% to 60%. We go home to gather those four teenagers around, and we lay out what the next year has for us. And one of the bold teenagers bluntly asked, so does this mean you're going to die? And as gently as I could, I said, yes. I don't know when, but all of us will die. But all I can tell you is that we have a 100% chance of God doing the right thing by us while we live. And then one day, on a very good day, he will take us home to be with him. See, that's not morbid or even brave talk. That's just stealing, verse 27, and owning it for ourselves in a crisis time. Because verse 27 says it's been destined for all of us to die. The word destined also means appointment or reserved. It's a unique word only used two times in the New Testament. The first time is when Jesus says, rewards in heaven have been reserved, appointed, destined for you who follow me faithfully. And the other time is right here, telling us that all human beings have a scheduled appointment with death. We all have the same destiny. We die once and then face judgment, which tells me that all of us in this room and anybody online right now or listening to a podcast later has the same core need. And the same core need is, is death and the sin that caused it. Romans chapter five tells us how this death state came into being. Romans 5.12 says, therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, going back to Adam, and death through sin, and in this way, death came to all men because all sinned. So sin and death started with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. The text says, and in this way, death came to all men because all sinned. So it tells us that sin has a child and his name is death. And then a death is nothing more than a separation from life. And so we are separated emotionally and spiritually and yes, even one day physically from the life that is found in God, our creator. We see here that the text tells us that all are dead because all sinned, but at the same time, all sinned because all are dead. And those two statements coming side by side actually form the Bible's teaching or the Bible's doctrine of sin. We sometimes call it original sin and total depravity. It tells us meaningly that basically that we are born into this world as, as bad off as we can be. Maybe not as bad as we could be. I've been worse on some days. How about you? But born into this world apart from Christ, I'm as bad off as I can be, which is cut off from the creator and dead. Think about it this way. Sin is so pervasive that if life was a machine, sin is the bad gear that causes the machine to keep misfiring. If life was a country, sin is the terrorist movement within that country wreaking havoc. If life was a family, sin is the generational family feud that keeps getting passed down. If life was a body, a human body, sin is the untreated cancer that continues to bring unhealth. If life 
was a river. Sin is the nuclear waste that pollutes the whole ecosystem. If, if life was a computer, sin is the ransomware that's been hijacked on your data. So the problems we face in this world, and listen, there are problems, and they are many, and they're varied, and they're painful. The problems of this world all find the same roots, sin and death. I mean, think about the isms that we face, whether it's racism or sexism or elitism, classism. Think about the issues we wrestle with, issues of social injustice, issues of global poverty, oppression of people group, dysfunction in families, war among nations. All of those issues and isms have the same root. We're separated from the life of God in sin. I've been going through the Gospel of John in my personal Bible readings before work. You know, I stumbled across the most simple aha last week. In John chapter 3, it's a famous story of Nicodemus, a religious leader, Jewish religious leader, coming to Jesus. And all he simply says to Jesus is, I know that you're a teacher who comes from God. He doesn't ask a question. He just says, I know you're a teacher who comes from God. The first thing that Jesus says to Nicodemus is this. Well, then I tell you the truth. No one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. Jesus lived in a world covered up by political and social and relational and biological dysfunction everywhere. And yet this teacher come from God chooses to highlight one core issue. What is it? Our spiritual condition rooted in a deadness, which is why he says the only solution is a, a life that comes through a rebirth, a born-againness. Jesus knows that we have one core need. Back to the writer of Hebrews, he's going to drive us quickly to one core solution. Look at Chapter 9 again, starting at the beginning of the paragraph, verse 22. In fact, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. So it tells us that God has a standard, it's called the law, a standard of holiness that requires a cleansing of sin. And cleansing of sin requires a blood sacrifice. In fact, he says it so plainly, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. And this has actually been a tripping point for people who have looked at the biblical story, both in Old Testament and in New Testament. In fact, it was George Bernard Shaw, the famous playwright, Nobel Prize winning playwright, the criticist, the journalist, and the atheist who once said this about Christianity. He said, it is saturated with the ancient and to me quite infernal superstition of the atonement by blood sacrifice, which I believe Christianity must be rid of if it is to survive among thoughtful people. So blood as a means of forgiveness was offensive to Shaw. Why would God have this in his story? Well, listen, only the most arrogant among us would try to explain all of the why that's in the mind of an infinite God, huh? But we can take our clues from what God's already told us. And back in Leviticus chapter 17, 
verse 11, we read, For the life of every living thing is in the blood. So I myself have assigned it, the blood, to you on the altar to make atonement for your lives. For the blood makes atonement by means of the life. So blood becomes God's means, God's method of covering or atoning for our sin. Life is in the blood, Leviticus says. And by the way, we know that's true biologically, don't we? We know that biologically, human blood both nourishes and cleanses us, right? You know, I am not a medical doctor, by the way. I do have Google. And Google tells me that blood is a living tissue, living fluid tissue that connects all of the body. In fact, there is not one cell in our body right now that is a hair's breadth away from a blood clapulary because our bodies need it for nourishment and for cleansing. Yeah, blood cleanses our bodies by removing carbon dioxide and toxins, uric acids, things like that. Blood also nourishes our body with oxygen and nutrients like vitamins and minerals and glucose and amino acids. Yes, men and women, life is in the blood. And this blood has been given to us as a means of atoning. Go back to verse 23 and let the thought continue. Life is in the blood. Without the shedding of blood, it's necessary or there is no forgiveness of sin. The next line says, Verse 23, it was necessary then for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these sacrifices. What sacrifices? These blood sacrifices that were done in the temple and the tabernacle for all these generations. But the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. And you remember that Hebrews is written to Jewish Christians who had a thorough knowledge of the sacrificial system in that tabernacle and the temple. I mean, they knew it intimately. In fact, every spring, the family's 4-H project was to raise the Passover lamb who would be sacrificed for their household. Every fall, the highest and holiest of the feast days would be the one that the high priest took the sacrifice into the Holy of Holies on the Day of Atonement and sacrificed for the, the sins of the people. The Jews knew that blood sacrificial system was not just something recorded in their Old Testament law. They knew that it went all the way back to their family history of origin, all the way back to the book of Genesis to their first parents, Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve sin and rebel from God in the garden. They discover the shame of their sin. And the story tells us that they cover up the shame of their sin. How? by making for themselves fig leaves. What does God do with those fig leaves? He takes those away and he covers them with the skin of an animal, the first blood sacrifice. And I don't know, I'm gonna go out on a limb and tell you I wonder, was it the skin of a lamb to cover them? Their first children, Cain and Abel. Cain, he brings an unworthy sacrifice. It was one he grew from the labor of his own hands, a grain offering. Abel brought a good sacrifice, a worthy sacrifice. It was a 
blood sacrifice. Yes, life is in the blood. See, every time a Jew participated in the Old Testament sacrificial system, they were reminded of three truths that were always true, always have been truth, but the sacrificial system reminded them of the truth. And number one is the high cost of sin. And number two was the need for a substitute payment. And number three was the high price tag of grace. These repeated sacrifices in verse 23 Their only job was to point to a full and final sacrifice that would finish the cleansing. Go to verse 24, the next line. For Christ did not enter a man-made sanctuary that was only a copy of the true one. He entered heaven itself, now to appear for us in God's presence. Men and women, we live right now, this very day, before a holy God. We live accountable to a holy God. One day we will stand before him face to face and give that account. The most honest among us acknowledge that there is a gap between God's holiness and our sinfulness. Now human beings have been trying to close that gap since the days of Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve tried to close the gap themselves with fig leaves. We've tried our own fig leaves too. The humanist among us sees the gap and tries to reduce God down to our level. God is like me. I think I'm okay. God must think I'm okay. The religionist among us sees the gap and tries to raise themselves up to God. I will be like God. I see my flaws. I will overcome that gap myself through my own good deeds or religious observance. No, no, no. The gap still exists. And the honest among us know that we need someone to stand in the gap. Because if sin separates me from life, to be separated from life means that I am dead. Who will bridge the separation. We have the answer to that. Look at the text. It says, Jesus now appears for us in God's presence. He is the better priest who stands in the gap for us. I grew up in a religious background that was high church, meaning we had priests everywhere. I came to faith in Christ in late high school, began to read the the Bible for myself for the very first time as an almost 18-year-old. My conclusion was that the Bible taught that I don't need a priest. It's me and God. I'm a Christian now. I don't need a priest. Was I right or wrong? Yes. I was wrong. Or I was right. I didn't need an earthly priest, but I was wrong. I need someone to bridge the gap. And his name is Jesus, my Lord Jesus Christ. He is the great high priest who now currently stands in the gap with his righteous and spotless life and closes it up for us. He now appears for us in God's presence. He does so bringing a better sacrifice as well. 
Look how the thought continues in verse 25. Verse 25 tells us, nor did Jesus enter heaven to offer himself again and again. The way the high priest enters the most holy place every year, that's the day of atonement, with the blood that is not his own. Then Christ would have had to suffer many times since the creation of the world. But now he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages. Why? To do away with sin. How? By the sacrifice of himself. So those Old Testament sacrifices that, again, this Jewish Christian would have known so well, they were being instructed that those sacrifices didn't put away their sin. They simply put off their sin. They didn't cancel out the debt. They simply delayed the debt for another year. We didn't need someone to put off our debt. I need someone to pay my debt. And our better priest offers a better sacrifice to do so, and we find that it is himself. Verse 26 says, his blood is a once for all. Once for all means what? Your past, your present, your future sins. Once for all, sacrifice that does away with sin. So the debt of our sin is now paid up in full and therefore canceled out. So in our culture, economically speaking, uh, if you were to have to file bankruptcy, the two most common bankruptcies filed are chapter 11 and chapter 7. Chapter 11 bankruptcy is just a reorganization of your debts. It gives you time to reorganize your debts and create a payment plan for yourself. That's not this passage. Ours is more like chapter 7 bankruptcy. Chapter 7 bankruptcy says you, you liquidate everything that is you, and the rest of your debts are just canceled and done away with. The grace of the gospel is more like chapter 7 bankruptcy, where we surrender ourselves to it, and the debt is canceled and paid for. That's the grace of the gospel. To say it succinctly like the, the Apostle Paul does in Romans chapter 6, verse 23, for the wages of sin is death. That's a big debt. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Don't you love that God tells us the truth? He tells us the truth about ourselves and the truth about himself. He pays the debt. Tim Keller is often fond of saying it this way. He says, the gospel means that we are far more sinful than we ever imagined, and at the same time, we are far more loved and accepted in Jesus than we ever hoped. And that's the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ for every one of us. He's God's only priest He's God's only sacrifice to bridge the gap for our sin, which is why for the Christian, Jesus becomes everything. In fact, the gospel for a Christian is this, Jesus plus nothing equals everything. We dare not insert our own self to close the gap by some measure of our own. We dare not say something like Jesus plus our conservatism or a progressivism, whatever your stripe is. 
No, we dare not even try to include something that would improve our own moral standing like Jesus plus our baptism or plus our baby dedication or plus our good works or plus our moral standing. No, it's simply on what Jesus has done is everything to us. Remember the, the scheduled appointment that we all have? Remember in verse 27, right in the middle of that paragraph, We've all been destined to die once and then to face judgment. Did you notice when we put that verse on the screen that there was no period at the end? Because it's not the complete sentence. Verse 27 actually flows into verse 28. Look at the way verse 28 finishes that thought. It's been destined for all of us to die and then to face judgment. So, Christ having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, because it's been dealt with, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Our Savior accomplishes everything we need. Remember our greatest battle? Sin and death. In his first coming, his past work, he accomplished the cleansing of sin and the conquering of death through the resurrection. But at his second coming, he will finish up the wholeness of life that we long for. He will restore all of life and life will work the way it's supposed to work and was meant to work before the fall of mankind. And we now live between two comings. On one hand, we stand confidently on the finished work of his first coming, cross and resurrection. But on the other hand, the text gives us the verb, how we live. We wait eagerly for his second coming to finish the deliverance that we need. Maybe you can think about it this way. On January 1st, 1863, President Abraham Lincoln signed the Emancipation Proclamation, freeing African-Americans who were enslaved under the, the evil tyranny of that kind of impression particularly in the South. And yet the Civil War still raged. So for the next two and a half years, African Americans did not experience the fullness of the decree until June 19th, 1865, a day we call, by now federal and Arkansas holiday, Juneteenth, that was yesterday. A day that commemorates the freedom of slavery. Now, let me ask you this. Put yourself back in the 1864 range. Who do you think waited most eagerly for Juneteenth to come? Those who have been declared free, but still long to experience the fullness of that freedom. Who do you think waits most eagerly for Jesus Christ to return again? Those who've been declared free by his first coming and those who wait eagerly for the fullness of life that will liberate us from the presence of sin forever. We stand and we wait with hope because he is our priest and our sacrifice. A few weeks ago, Sam quoted Martin Luther. And you remember he said in his message, Martin Luther continued to say, fearing death is not very Christian. 
You know, ironically, this spring, Tommy Gutier, a member here at Fellowship, shot me a link to a podcast, and he said, Mark, I think you'll like this. And there are 10-minute dramatized episodes of the life of Martin Luther. Not Martin Luther King Jr., the, the famed civil rights leader, but Martin Luther of the 1500s, the famed reformer. And I did love their series. And what I noticed is that old Martin Luther was very different than young Martin Luther. Young Martin Luther used to say that his death day was, quote, my horrifying doomsday. And he said, and I hated God, even as an early monk, because I knew the waiting judgment that was happening for me. Old Martin Luther was quoted to have saying just before his death, my death is my happy last day. The day of Jesus, my Savior friend, who comes for me. What changed in Martin Luther's life? He believed the gospel. He actually believed that Jesus plus nothing was actually everything to him. He knew that Jesus came to pay for his past, present, and future sins, and Jesus was coming again to bring him home to the fullness of reward. His trusting in the gospel changed his view of that last appointment. And so now how about you? Who or what are you trusting in to bridge that gap between you and God? If it's any work of your own, my hunch is most days are nervous. At your deepest and darkest thoughts, you know that you long for some kind of hope that is more sure. But you can have that hope because it's based on not how good you are, but on how great he and his work already is. When you trust Jesus Christ for salvation, you're saying that I believe that his death and shed blood cleanses all of my sin. And I believe his resurrection from the dead is the only thing that guarantees me eternal life. And he anchors you in hope. And then you start to eagerly wait for your Juneteenth liberation to be fully realized. This morning, this Father's Day could be the day that if you've never trusted Jesus Christ for salvation, when we observe communion here in a minute, you can observe with us knowing you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ. You do so by acknowledging your sin, by believing in what Jesus did on the cross and the resurrection was enough for you, and by committing your life to him. For all of us, would you take out the communion elements and begin to prepare them? And yes, there will be a day when communion will not have that sound. Let's prepare the elements now. Kyle will lead us through taking the elements in a moment. But I wanna ask you the two questions that the songwriter asks. Songwriter asks right up front, what can wash away my sin? And then he asks, what, what can make me whole again? And the answer is found in the same, same person, Jesus Christ. His first work, his first coming accomplished a work that washes away our sin. His second coming completes the work that will make us whole again as we continue to worship and head towards communion, let me pray.
To you, our Father, we say thank you. Thank you for the Son, Jesus, who paid the price we could not pay on our own, who accomplished our salvation through his death and resurrection. We say thank you that he will finish the fullness of the task when he comes again. And while we hold these elements in our hands, we say, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Oh, come quickly. But until you do, may we eagerly wait for you. And for those who have never trusted Jesus Christ as Savior, would you simply pray this? Lord Jesus, I need you. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. I trust you and you only for salvation. Teach me to trust you more. And for the rest of us, we will join you by praying, Lord Jesus, we need you. Thank you for dying for our sins. We trust you and you only for our salvation. Oh, teach us to trust you more. Mark posed this question and we'll sing about it. We'll sing this. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. So precious.
with me as we sing the bridge of this next song. Oh, praise the one who paid my debts, who raised this life up from the dead. Let's sing, oh, praise. Oh, praise the one who paid my debt, raised this life up from the dead. Oh, praise the one who paid my debt, raised this life up. Oh, praise, we sing. at the table with his disciples and he told them this is my body would you take this and eat 
And that same night, he held up the cup and he said, this is the blood of my covenant. Would you take this and drink it? And as we prepare our hearts to leave this morning, I would love to join together to read this prayer as we, as we go. Let's read this together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we've also forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Amen. Well, fellowship, what a great day to worship together. If you need prayer this morning, we have the parishes in the prayer room over to your right and my left. And if not, we'll see you next week. Go in peace, church.